RA Exchange. Hey, welcome to Resident Advisors Exchange. I'm Chloe Lula, RA's senior producer. Today, I'm pleased to give the podcast floor to Nastia, the Ukrainian DJ, promoter, and label boss of Necto Records. Nastia started DJing in 2005 after moving from her small hometown and attending the University of Donetsk. Beginning as a radio host at KISS FM, where she curated a show called Necto, which became the name of her imprint, she started actively touring, pursuing a career as what she calls a quote-unquote true DJ. In this conversation recorded live at Wiesenor Festival in Lyon, Nastia tells moderator Christine Kikare about her dedication to the craft of DJing and her approach to building sets. She says that for her, a set is 50% about providing entertainment and 50% about educating the audience about music that's divested from the techno charts or commercial interests. She explains that she likes to create journeys that are expressive of her internal world, which means that they might not necessarily align with what the crowd wants or expects. For the last year and a half, her style has been significantly impacted by the war in Ukraine and her feelings of deep sadness and personal displacement that have accompanied the ongoing conflict. I feel like a plant who has been displaced, but the roots are staying in Ukraine. You know, like for the first time in my life, on 21st of February, on the anniversary of, of a war, I felt like I don't want to leave anymore. That that bad. I was at that dark side. But now looking back and analyzing what happened to me, I feel like I must take it as an opportunity to actually learn, grow, and reach another level. Nastia concedes that she's gotten further than most artists have been able to as a DJ with no productions under her belt, even though she's been curating a very cool techno label. She tells Kakar that she feels like she squeezed everything she can out of being just a DJ, and that she's now ready to open a new chapter in her career, push her boundaries, and take on another challenge. This has meant dedicating herself to time in the studio, and now thinking about releasing tracks. Nastia also closes with thoughts about how she leads her life, from investing deeply in herself to shutting out the noise of social media and external influences. My favorite part of this self-reflection is her consideration of being a mom as a DJ on the road. She talks about her approach to parenting as a touring artist and building an open, trusting relationship with her child. I found these additions to the conversation really valuable in an ecosystem that doesn't sufficiently address the topics of motherhood and independent artistry, not to mention the issues that affect an older generation of female artists in general. I hope you take as much away from this talk as I did. Thanks for listening, and without further ado, here is the one and only Nastia. Welcome, Nastia. Thank you, Katrin. Christine. Sorry, Christine. I'm just, you know, maybe I'm too excited. <laughs> Christine. That was actually going to be my original my original name. So oh, okay. So I'll this mistake pass. was not so yeah, yeah. offensive. <laughs> just means you've done a lot of research. Okay, so okay. I'll take it. Intuition, intuition. Exactly. Let's say it's my intuition. Okay. It's <laughs> decided. Okay, so we're just going to have a, a chat over the next hour. I'm really curious to know more about you. Um, I think you're a very fascinating cultural figure in electronic music. So 
yeah, I look forward to kind of digging into some of the aspects of your artist persona, um, but also who you are, where you're from, what you identify with, et cetera, et cetera. But I want to ask first about your set last night. Um, you played at the opening night of Nui Sonore, and I found it to be a really extraordinary thing to witness. I've never seen people crowd surfing at 10.30 p.m., but it happened. I counted at least 11 people up on other people's shoulders. It was a really high-octane, celebratory, no-holds-barred kind of environment. Is that what you're usually creating through your sets? Is this kind of like a taste of what it's like to be DJing as Nastia? I would say that last night was quite special because it's been a while I wanted to play this festival. Yeah, like long time I wanted to get a chance to kind of express myself. But uh, I got this chance and I, will, I say to myself, no way I'm going to fail it, you know. <laughs> I need to create something that uh, reflects with me but at this moment. And uh, it was actually a very lucky moment because I'm in a... In the moment of uh, reborn myself, it's uh, interesting actually topic because I've been experiencing uh, three times in my life during my career. First was in 2006, uh, second was in 2009, and now when I have to kind of cancel everything that I've done and start from the blank page mm -hmm. and create myself from a better option of myself as an artist. And uh, yesterday was kind of a set where I uh, decided to myself, like, Nastya, there should be no nonsense track in your set. Like, no kind of pause, no something in the middle. Each track has to be something special. And I was working hard on uh, surfing uh, Discogs for a while. Uh, I got a lot of actually old school tracks. It's kind of, a, I find it cool, but also a problem because it's kind of retrospective. Uh, we always come back to the past because we think it's better or something. But in my case, I just find modern music not good enough in production and especially in ideas. And that's why I always come back to uh, kind of old school music because uh, when it was just born, people didn't have this kind of a formulas of how music should be and, or how music should work. So people were producing music without thinking like, wow, this track is going to smash the dance floor. I choose the tracks which has kind of um, particular sound, you know, which is catchy, which is which doesn't sound that anything else that I heard before. And stuff like that. So I think I also was for the whole flight so from Amsterdam to Lyon. I was building up my kind of a playlist, which will help me to serve uh, from my set. And uh, it was a great job. I'm super happy with my set. And uh, I was doing something like risking, pushing, you know, kind of going only my way. I, I say to myself, like Nasty, I need to be like confident and secure about where you want to take those people or which journey you want to build, which message you want to send. Because for me, DJing is still about that. It's not about playing functional music, which will bring you on a hype. Because it's a lot of uh, simple ways now where you can stand up and just build one way and push in one spot, one point, and be successful in that. For me, DJing was always uh, about variety and diversity of the music and uh, journeys and uh, waves, you know. 
So I, I think last night was one of those special moments when I completely expressed myself in the way that I wanted and I didn't I didn't have any pressure. I didn't let anybody put me like in a different direction. I was just straight to the point with what I think and what I believe in. So yeah, it was not uh, usual Nastya and I want to be that last set will be a usual Nastya. So I'm working on that right now. Okay. <laughs> I think if this is the usual Nastia from here on, then it'll be like a really wonderful journey for you. I definitely want to ask you about what you said before of having these periods of stopping and resetting and kind of starting over again. But I wanted to ask you a couple more questions about last night's set. I found also the staging of it to be really interesting because it's like you were in the round in the center of the room and it was very kind of brightly lit. You could kind of see everybody um, and people were able to engage with you from like every every angle and they really were as well. And I found it really interesting kind of moving to different points of the room and I really had the sense of your performance. Like you were engaged in the music obviously and engaged in the mix but at certain points you'd turn around and people, you know, people at 3 o'clock you'd wink at somebody, people at 7 o'clock you'd wave at them. And I know that you have a background in dancing. So I'm curious, does this background in dancing and performance like kind of inform how you approach DJing as well? I felt like you were very conscious of the people who were literally surrounding you. Well, I think um, my success is a big combination of many factors and many things. But uh, if answering on this uh, particular question, I would say definitely dancing helps me to share the vibe and create the vibe because people who see me moving, they also want to move. You know, it's kind of uh, the, you receive the same energy that you send. So I, of course, and turning around, giving attention to the crowd, I think for artists particularly is essential. Sometimes you use it as a... Um, a trick or uh, the instrument that will help you to create the vibe. But when you feel confident already and you have this vibe, it just makes you feel good that uh, you, I, I appreciate the people who stay for my set because they always have an option at the festival where to go. You know, the few other stages, they always can go to another stage if they're feeling bored in my stage. So it's a communication. Uh, I just like to connect with people through the music, from my moves through the eye contact, you know, waving the hand and stuff like that, checking on the people like, do you guys feel good around? Is everything fine? Are you happy? And uh, it's always hard because I'm, I am an artist. I'm not just a DJ. I'm not a producer yet. So it's just my kind of way of doing my thing, you know, it's natural. You said an interesting word earlier, which was the idea of risk. And that was like a question I wanted to ask you a little bit later. I find it really interesting that in the, I guess, the more recent sets of yours that I've heard, there's always an element of like folding in other types of music that you love. So a bit of a drum bass here, a bit of footwork there, a bit of industrial here. And in this set that you played last night, which was just two hours, there was a moment maybe in the last 25 minutes where you just kicked up the pitch and like slammed into to drum and bass. Tell me about that moment where you're kind of taking that risk and shifting the parameters of what people are dancing to. Does it feel risky to you or it feels like it's under control? The thing is that uh, I feel that at the moment on a scene, there's um, lots of experiments, but also a lot of uh, prejudices and expectations that, you know, there's a wave of hard techno, wave of uh, broken beats. Somebody's still pushing for uh, regular techno, like which we're regular, I'm saying that it 
like normal, like classic techno, let's say. For me, it's just boring to play one way. I always been jumping into some kind of uh, directions which are can be unexpected, but for some of the people, they can be like, oh, it was so good before, why she did that, you know? Or other people will, with open mind, they will say like, wow, I didn't expect that, unexpected turn, she's doing something else, something different, I need to dig into that deeper. This is the cultural thing, this is what I call education, because for me, I always say that uh, DJing is at least 50-50, 50% it's entertainment, 50% it's education. So you need kind of uh, deliver to the people something alternative, something that uh, maybe they didn't expect. They don't listen at home. They don't listen at uh, other artists' sets. Yeah, it's always risky because you never know what kind of um, taste this particular crowd has. You know, like I don't know that much about local culture of uh, Lyon or even uh, the France. I don't know what kind of music people prefer here, what they like, but. I'm still an independent artist and maybe the festival invited me just to kind of offer to their people something different. And I always take this opportunity and chance to kind of, you know, doing something different. And I think this is my key and this is my powerful side of myself as an artist that I'm risking it every time because um, you still, you never know how people will react. But when you see that your risk was uh, worthy, then it makes you happy and you, you feel yourself like, well, I've, I've done my job in a, in a good way that uh, I'm not only entertained people, but also offer them something alternative. And this is my point. I like that you said that DJing is uh, 50% entertainment, 50% education, because I feel like there's a lot of, of course, discourse, but also a lot of like mythology around what DJing is and what it ought to be and how it ought to be approached. So this idea of it being a blend of education and entertainment, is this something that you've shared with, I don't know, peers of yours or other people? And if so, what has the feedback been like for this idea of like acknowledging the entertainment aspect of it? Well, I don't know other DJs who will reach my level only DJing. According to the statistics, let's say, I'm having like half a million of followers on Instagram and, you know, kind of a power. People listen to me, people talk to me. I'm kind of having an influence. And I think this key of like educating, it's the point which opening doors, you know, like uh, serious uh, events or promoters like Noit Sana, they pay attention to that as well. I believe so. I hope it's not only about commercial side, it's about cultural side and educating as a DJ, as an artist, is that culture. Because if we would entertain people only, then we all will be a Steve Aoki or somebody else, you know, like somebody who would bring the cakes into the crowd and entertain them, you know, it's funny. It's a good moment of the set, but uh, you shouldn't do only that, you know. We also have uh, values, we also have principles, a vision of what is the good quality music, proper stuff. And I have a background. I have my heroes to look at. I have uh, people uh, who educated me without even knowing that, you know, influencing my uh, way. And uh, I stick to the cultural thing and to the mission of the original DJing. 
because uh, nowadays I see it's coming more and more techno and uh, in general electronics music become bigger. It gets uh, bigger stages, bigger rooms, and it gets more and more commercial. People invest serious money in uh, doing this kind of entertainment. And of course, for the artists, it's like easy. Okay, well, I'm having this opportunity. I'm going to play something like remixes or bootlegs on hits. So I will have a good reaction. It helps me and my profile to kind of grow and get more gigs like that. I always go against it. Like for me, it's a moveton to play uh, Prodigy, Faithless and stuff like that. Yeah, it's cool to hear it once uh, a time at the party. But most of the DJ, they use these tools to kind of uh, get this uh, feedback, you know, uh, get this moment of people like jumping, having a reaction. For me, it's too easy. My way is just to do it in a different point that find the tracks which are not popular, but they will give the same feedback. You know, this kind of, this is the job of the DJing to catch the people with something that they never heard before, but you kind of like saying like, guys, this track is worth your attention. This track is amazing. And you show it with your energy, with yourself, how confident you are, how happy you are to play this track. This is um, an interesting job. If I would love to be a star, I will be DJ Beauty from Kazanti Festival <laughs> playing in a green dress, still screaming and dancing and jumping. I will be a star already. I will like be in a, playing in the stadiums, but I didn't choose that way because for me, the interest of being an artist is to take this unexpected uh, steps and doing opposite, like going uh, some more complicated waves and find some music which is not popular, but sounds that good that it's not um, worse than hits, let's say. I don't know if I answered it on your question. You definitely did. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but seeing as you've mentioned this watershed moment in your career as DJ Beauty at Kazan Tip in the green dress, losing your mind to the song that you were playing, and this is casting back 13 years at this point, and as you mentioned earlier, you have these moments where you kind of stop and reset and start over. What did you have to put away from DJ Beauty? Like what was the next iteration that came after that and what was behind the decision making process well when i saw this video for the first time i was feeling embarrassed i know that some like most of the people they say wow this was a high energy video it was a flash mob it was just the beginning of youtube social media and stuff and i got a hype and actually this video opened the international doors for me People abroad started to be interested about me. They started to book me, which was a good moment. And it helped me to get away and like um, stand out of like um, post-Soviet countries. It just uh, made wider my audience and uh, geographic of my gigs and my shows. But when I saw this video, I was like, no, this is not me. <laughs> no, it's me, but I don't want to look like that. You know, every gig after that video... I was coming, people were expecting I'm going to play that track and I will do the same show. Fair enough, I understand. But I was like, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. You know, guys, I'm going to step out and do something else, something different. And it also was a moment, uh, in the same moment, Arma 17, the Moscow's uh, well-known club, they offered me to be a resident of their club. And for me, the Arma 17 was the top of the top. And I said to myself, like, Nastya, you're not going to fail this chance. You need to prove that you are much better than this. You're not that DJ beauty in the green dress. You know, you can do much better things. And I took 
again, totally opposite way. I started to play some conceptual music, you know, more experimental, minimalistic, more electronic stuff like that, which people and my audience who was already with me, I was quite big already at that moment. They were loving me for being digibuting. And I said, well, I need to be prepared to say to myself, like I'm losing all of these people and I need to start build up a new fan base. The people who will uh, love like new uh, artists, Nastia, you know, like I changed the name, I changed the direction of the music. It was also risky, of course. I, I was expecting like I'm not gonna perform for a while because people were people were confused a little bit, you know, seeing me playing different music. It was like this is not Nastia we know, but I was like super confident and uh, you know like I need to go that way. I want to be there and I want to have respect from the people I respect, like from the artists who are heroes to me. I want to speak to them. And they will look at me and they will have respect to, to me, you know, like this kind of uh, energy also that standing out of DJ beauty and become some, someone serious, you know, like with some values, some concepts, some vision and, you know, directions. I just wanted to be uh, someone else, someone bigger, someone better quality, someone just feel myself better uh, than just a commercial DJ who plays what people want. And is that a motivation that's still drives you at this point with a huge profile and half a million followers is that similar kind of desire is that what has informed your recent decision to kind of start over again what are you seeking through this change no definitely i i found myself in a very good position in a very good perspective so everything fine with the respect <laughs> i respect myself and uh, it's more than enough for people who influence me respect me i speak to everybody so i actually reached my goal in this transformation from digibuted to nastia until now but now I face a different uh, kind of a challenge. As I said before, that I don't have any other examples who reached that level and only being DJing. I feel like I squeezed everything that I could in being just a DJ. Sometimes you feel like you reach the cities, you know, you already like your head is pushing. It's like, I need to another, another level, another perspective and heights. This is what I feel now. I feel quite limited. I feel like uh, I've done everything I could in this point and uh, I need to study. I need to, um, you know, learn things to reach another level, another kind of wave of respect and not only stay where I am at the moment, but grow. So at the moment, all of my steps and my inner feeling is about that I need to push the borders. I need to, again, say goodbye to everything that I've, I had. Also, it's, it's, it's all connected to the war, to my displacement, to all of these factors that happened in my life for the last year. All came together in the point that I realized that I need to kind of stop being engaged and like invest myself in different things i just need to invest only in myself kind of isolate myself lock myself in one space and work hard on what i want to do next mm -hmm. i am studying production at the moment i uh, spend a lot of time on it and i'm studying and learning psychology which helps me to kind of improve myself as a person and like, you know, I, I'm very curious about uh, how to live my life. <laughs> so this is my uh, state of mind. Okay. So this is like the latest phoenix rising from the ashes is production slash psychologist. 
Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, I, I, Phoenix is, is, is a symbol of everything because it's the third time in my life and I have, I have a huge Phoenix on my back as a tattoo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I always think like this tattoo I didn't make in, in just a, an image. It's a symbol. What brought you to the point? I mean, you already mentioned it in terms of feeling like you were hitting the ceiling or had reached the the heights that you had been working towards. But I noticed that last week you made this announcement that you are kind of stepping back from social media. And I think you've had a really interesting and complex history with social media. Why, why is that the thing that is going to be taken out of your management? Like, what do you hope it will give you? Uh, it's not about what it gave me. I'm not expecting anything from this instrument anymore. So I'm not gonna, I'm not using it anymore, actually. I like all of these things that uh, I've done for the last year, my activism about the uh, situation in Ukraine, canceling myself in the festivals where uh, Russian silent art display and like personal stories and some uh, speak ups about different, other different things. I use this instrument for entire career since it's existing but at the moment i feel that it's first of all taking too much time secondly it's uh, destructive thirdly it's toxic in general i don't feel good doing it anymore i just want to kind of escape step out also it's kind of you know like when you're scrolling in the feed you see like oh well this artist playing this music um He's having a good time. This artist is doing that. This artist is growing and blah, 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 blah. You kind of like having this information in your mind, which you don't need. It subconsciously, it still affects you and influence you. And uh, I just want to kind of, you know, uh, stay away from all of this information and do only my thing. So I will secretly think that what I've done, what I will be doing for the next years away from social media, it will be only mine. And nobody will influence me. And this is the main uh, point of this. That sounds very healthy to me. Ah, you know, uh, it was very difficult. Uh, I will not do it. If, if somebody will tell me a year ago that I will do it, I will not believe. But naturally, with all of the circumstances, I came to the point uh, that it feels naturally for me to leave it. Even I didn't expect that it would be so easy and I feel so much better. I feel so much better. I became a different person. Oh, I'm happy to hear that. Let's talk about this last year or this last uh, 15 months or so, which obviously been destructive and traumatic. And I think that the numbers are officially 8 million other Ukrainian residents who have been displaced and really having to um, pick up the pieces of their lives however they can. But for yourself, I know that you have done a lot of work in terms of like documenting the experience of being displaced and being a citizen of a country that has been under attack in this way. Have you been able to reconstruct a feeling or a sense of home somewhere else? And if so, what does that look like? Where, like, where are you at the moment in the world? Are you living out of a suitcase? Are you, yeah. I'm living in a lost island. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. It's very poetic. Well, I'm uh, a very grounded person who is also a Taurus. So it's important (laughs) for those who believe in uh, the science, they might understand me better. For me, Ukraine is my home and it's, uh, it's impossible to replace it with anything else. It doesn't matter how good the country is. 
uh, or how beautiful Ireland is. <laughs> but my home is in Ukraine, so I still feel like I feel like a plant who has been displaced, uh, but the roots are staying in Ukraine. You know, like mm-hmm. it doesn't help me at all. I really depend on the energy of being home. And it's kind of, you know, it's a charger. It's a station of, of a charger. I miss uh, a lot of energy, but uh, I don't give up. And uh, I understand that as soon as it will be possible, I'll be back. So I'm not planning to stay in Europe. Uh, I'm not planning to change my life. I'm just kind of on hold, you know, like kind of on in this um, temporary based. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, I had to uh, disconnect with lots of things that gave me an energy and hope and inspiration and all of my sources. That's why I'm saying also, it's also one of the points why I I call it at the moment to be reborn and to rise from ashes Mm. because uh, everything that I built until the war started got crushed and uh, destroyed. Uh, and I need to find a way how to build my life in uh, this moment circumstances. Because people, when they live happy life, when they're happy, uh, first of all, they live in their comfort zone. They build it up for the whole uh, life. They find it. They, they feel connected. This is my comfort zone. Everything's fine. I have my home. I have my place, my things. Everything's set. In this environment, they count on certainties. But I realized for the last year that my life is completely about uncertainties. I cannot count on my uh, comfort zone. I cannot count of uh, certainties. I, I can just be aware that tomorrow something can happen and I will need to change my life again. So it's, it's a beautiful experience. It's very hard, tough. Honestly, I cried a lot. I, for the first time in my life, on 21st of February, on the anniversary of, of a war, I felt like I don't want to leave anymore. That that bad. I was at that dark side. I was like, you know, giving up and just feeling so bad about everything, all the aspects in my life, personal life, family, uh, displacement, career, uh, connections, uh, everything, 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 everything just crashed at, at one moment. But now looking back and analyzing what happened to me, I feel like I must take it as an opportunity to actually learn, grow, and reach another level. <laughs> so, you know, every experience is there for uh, some lessons. And I'm, I'm open enough and I'm curious enough about why I had to get this experience, why I had to get these lessons. I need to kind of analyze them properly and count on them for the future. Mm. A lot of what you've said... I can resonate with that in terms of experiencing certain types of grief or certain types of mourning as well. But was music or was DJing a tool that allowed you to come back from that low point of that anniversary? Like what role did music play in terms of bringing you back to a place that didn't feel as desperate or as dark? When I hear the track which is catching my mind, it gives me an inspiration. I said, like, wow, what is this track? Wow, how did they make it? Oh, what is the construction? What is the story? What is the idea? And I, it just takes me away from everything and I kind of losing everything that makes sense besides this moment in the music. Music is a therapy. It's a fact confirmed by scientists that the, this is the most influential art 
in the life of uh, people. So it's like this is something that can just switch your mind or take you away or kind of uh, support you. Why why do you think we are listening to the sad songs when we feel sad? Because we expect that somebody who is singing understands us. You know, this, this is kind of a self-reflection as well. So when I'm listening to the music that uh, inspires me, it just helps me to relieve and to heal myself. And of course, it helped me a lot. And especially it helping me now because I became much more selective at the moment. You know, like I said to myself, you cannot go this this kind of routine way in the music. Sometimes all of the artists, they have lack of time to check some new music, uh, some demos, some, you know, searching, digging, and they're touring hardly around the world. So they have this lack of resources to get an inspiration from the new music that they, they discover. And they get stuck. They feel like, okay, well, we are playing the same shit all over the place. We are bored. You don't feel an artist anymore, you know. You don't have this source and the channel and inspiration. It can bring you into depression, actually. I was close to that as well. I was telling to myself that I'm kind of doing it in a routine way. Of course, because I was having a bad moment in my life. I was going through lots of things. It was uh, very hard to focus on music. But as soon as you find the time and opportunity to focus on music, it will help you to become uh, confident again and to kind of, it's a fuel, you know, like a patrol for, for your soul, for your body, for your motivation, for your lifestyle. So it's, it's very important to dig deeper, continue to search and find those tracks which will inspire you for the next couple of weeks. When you play, you feel this high energy and say like, wow, I'm playing this track. I'm so cool. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Also in this last year and three months that of the captured videos that I've caught of the sets that you've played, there's also this like additional layer of feeling and emotion and connection. I witnessed it last night. They were standing behind somebody who was wearing a bucket hat that was in the kind of colours of the Ukrainian flag. So there seems to be this like additional layer of communication and kind of like intimacy. But I'm curious, do you feel like your sets have changed over the last year and a half since your life and the lives of other Ukrainians were essentially turned upside down overnight? Well, definitely. Since the beginning of war, I played quite darker, deeper. I couldn't play any kind of happy track because it didn't reflect with me. You know, like I can only provide the vibe and the energy and the music has to, first of all, reflect with me. I cannot, I'm not a radio. I cannot play tracks that will work for the crowd or will the music that people want. I play the music which reflects with me, which represents me. So I represent myself through my selection and mixing it took a while to get out of it and to understand that, well, I need to kind of get back to this function of uh, not only being myself on the stage, but also this 50-50 concept. As soon as I started to feel better, my music changed, of course. But it's all about my my own feelings. It's not about uh, circumstances or whatever. It just, whatever I play, it's, it's what I reflect the moment. In this new new phase that you're in now, the third phoenix that's risen, do you think you will maintain the same level of gigs, touring, 
travel, sleeplessness, is that something that also might shift for you? I don't think about it at all. It's not even in my mind. This job is a routine, traveling, gigging, playing. And of course, I control my schedule at the moment. I'm, I got used to block some weekends for myself, you know, whether I will work in a studio or I'm having the holidays with a family. So yeah, this is like that. I need to, to kind of find a balance in between working hard and uh, doing nothing, you know, like, or kind of procrastinating or something like that. So it's just like that. Mm-hmm. Before we started recording, you mentioned that you're, you're having some time off soon. And I was curious to know, like, what time off looks like for you. Because also throughout the long period of time of uh, lockdown, you were really, really busy. You did this uh, entire series called Scary Beautiful. Is that yeah, the name Scary of it? Beautiful. And I did this uh, interview called True Talk. Mm-hmm. which I actually want to continue with international DJs, but mm-hmm. I was interviewing only Ukrainian artists because mm-hmm. I was locked in that country. But it was a very nice experience as well. Yeah, absolutely. But as part of that, there was also this like quite expansive compilation series that you put together as well. Are you a workaholic, would you say? Are you somebody who takes to rest easily? Is it a work ethic or is it something personal you think that drives you towards this kind of level of activity? I'm definitely a workaholic. And my psychotherapist says that you are kind of a person that cannot stop. If you stop, you die. So I accepted it and I don't complain about it. I just like to work, especially if I have some ideas and inspiration. So I just move forward, keep myself busy. It helps me to survive and go through anything that I experience in my life. When I have a weekends off, I always try to create something special. Like, okay... I need to go to some country where I will never have gigs, where, where I will never have an opportunity to travel. I need to do it now because we don't know what's tomorrow. And I kind of, you know, choosing the directions, going somewhere, or I plan it to, to spend with a family. Like this is my birthday weekend uh, this week and I'm going to Greece, um, you know, to, with my boyfriend. He's Greek. I want him to show me the place where he was born, where he was growing. You know, this kind of things that... Uh, just curious for me and I want to experience. Yeah, but I never just lay down on uh, on the sofa or I never spend the whole day on the beach or something like that. I'm pretty much active and I, I'm pretty much fast to get bored. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the sense of that comes through with all of the different projects, all the different traveling that you've been doing very, very consistently over a long period of time. Perhaps we can talk a little bit about the idea of style or musical style. As you mentioned before, you kind of came into the club music consciousness or into uh, the notoriety of going viral um, with a particular sound at a particular festival. I think Kaz and Tip definitely has a legacy and an association that a lot of people can easily identify. But if we're thinking about where you went from, you know, the end of DJ Beauty to now, how would you describe your approach to style how would you characterize that honestly i don't know the way is too long the process is too long and uh, i'm just uh, following my flow and my intuition and my interest it doesn't matter what kind of music it is if it makes me interested if i feel like wow this is an interesting track this is an interesting uh, direction for example there is um a direction in drum and bass music called half step i think Mm-hmm. Something that very minimalistic and experimental. All of this. Uh, another direction is uh, Samurai Records, which is super uh, industrial and uh, super experimental. And I always 
dive, you know, like they're like, wow, this sounds so refreshing, you know, it's something else. I want to know what's what's happening, what's going on there. And I just go and I follow. And then if I find something which I cannot resist <laughs> playing, <laughs> then I mix it into my sets. And I think I'm a, that kind of uh, artist. I believe there are two types of the artists. One artist will go one direction, like only techno, and they're pushing in one point, you know, like when you put in one point all of your energy, it works. So it's actually quite common and easy, you know, people know what to expect. They come to your gig, they know what kind of music you play. You're good in that, you feel it. So everything is set, you're good in one direction. But me, like I will never be only a drum and bass DJ or I will never be only a techno DJ or house DJ. No, I like different kinds of styles. I like to mix them. I like to jump from one to another. I, I'm curious about everything and I want to try things, you know, to experience uh, different energies. And it is possible to put it all together in one set, like I showed yesterday, because yesterday was quite diverse, I would say. And this is exactly the point where I'm strong in, you know, like I'm, this is my power. Based on what you have described, you seem like somebody who wants to kind of bring in as much richness as possible and as much experience and as much variation as possible. Why do you think it's taken this long for you to return to producing because you have released some tracks in the past why do you think this is the point that this is something that you want to throw your attention towards well those tracks which are released under my name i didn't make myself it's not a ghost production no i was there in a studio i was visiting the studio of my friends i tried different people you know entering one studio then another studio working with this guy and then another guy but none of them could actually explain me how things work you know it's very uh, important to find a teacher who will in a simple simple way in your language will explain how how this work how to mix how to use the mixture how to use uh, this device how to use drum machine and stuff like that when you enter in the studio with all of these devices you get scared you're getting lost because there's so much to learn you see all of these things and it's like oh no i need to spend 10 years to learn this and I don't have this 10 years. That's why I've always been still focused on the DJing because DJing is a fast result. I go to play, I make a good show, I have another gig. You know, simple. But now I found somebody who can actually teach me and my language. He's simplifying things. He's saying like, you don't need this. It's existing. It's a part of the drum machine or a sampler but you don't need it. Let's go uh, further and let's focus on things that you really need to know. And we make it uh, short, simple. You under you'll understand. And if you understand and if you learn good, if you spend your time practicing, you will become a very good producer. And it's actually saved my life. <laughs> I was like, wow, I didn't know it's possible like this way, you know? And it's just, I think, it's the way you want to learn the music because, uh, as I said, I've been doing it with different people. Nobody could make me interested in producing. Nobody could actually explain me how things work. I would explain what I what I hear, what I want. And when we will be like checking the instruments, making this uh, combination and uh, composition, then I would, of course, say, like, I don't like this head. I like this melody. Let's try this synth. So I was just navigating. But somebody else was doing it. Now I want to do it myself. Mm. <laughs> I mean, what you've just described is kind of not uncommon practice in electronic music to 
be in the studio to have, you know, an engineer that's there with you to kind of guide you through all of these processes. And presumably you could have kept going with that. Why is it that that wasn't an appealing option for you? Why do you want to kind of forge your own path in this way? First of all, when I will produce the track, I couldn't represent it as mine. You know, it's very important that it's yours. It's your art. You made it. You spend your time on it. It's your construction. It's your idea. And only you who, who like nobody helped you. It's yours. And then if you're like, this track is fucking cool. I'm going to smash the dance floor with it. And when you see that the people are smashing, I was like, yeah, this is my job, you know, like, and this is mine. And this is the representation of your music and of your art. This is pure energy. I didn't have this pure energy representing the tracks which were made not only by me. So I couldn't have this kind of a power of having the connection with this music. Because people think, well, she's pretty, um, she's dancing, okay, she's playing okay music, whatever. But uh, that's why she's famous or that's why she's popular. People try to explain my success by uh, my look or by how I dance or whatever. But they don't understand that behind the success is a lot of hours and uh, of working, searching, practicing ideas, uh, generating ideas, releasing ideas, like making them work and stuff like that. They all simplify. You are successful because you're beautiful. Okay, now I want like, it's my own challenge. It's a challenge for myself. Like, will I be a good producer? Because it's, everybody can be a, a producer now, but to be a good producer is another thing. You know, to produce a quality music with great ideas, this is the top of the top. And when everybody is going to play your tracks, this is the uh, real success. And I want to reach that. I agree with you. But I think it's also interesting that there is this category of DJ who is able to build a persona to build a world of sound around them and they kind of stay away from productions you know talk about the the ben ufos and the moxies of the world who are able to just do that through djing so is that something that was never appealing to you no no it doesn't affect with me i will never be that kind of a person because it's fake i'm not a fake i'm absolutely open i cannot lie i always fight for truth even if it's only mine I always say like when I do some kind of uh, statement <laughs> and it's shocking, I feel like I'm standing naked in front of the audience. You know, like I don't have secrets. I don't have things that I cannot speak about. And this is my power. I feel strongly connected to this thing. And that's why for me, the challenge in production is like, first of all, will I uh, actually handle this? If I'm going to be a good quality producer, will people respect me also for that? Uh, will this open more doors? And, you know, it's always about also opportunities, levels, perspective, future, and stuff like that. And also, it's just a simple challenge to myself. Am I able to do that? Am I good in that? Because I, I cannot know before trying. I want to try this. I, I'm taking this challenge, and I'm happy about it. Talk to me about the role that being a label head has played for you. You have one active label right now, which is Nechto, and which I realized an hour ago was uh, Anagram of Techno. It only took me a couple of years. Um, but previous to that, you had Propaganda Records as well, which was a vinyl-only label. What role does being that A&R or 
label head, the person putting out the music? What role has that played for you as well? I'm like a train station, you know, there is a music and there is a people and I need to connect them. To create a propaganda label was a funny story. I was at Cousin Tip at the backstage of a closing party. RPR was playing and I was hanging out with my friends, Ukrainian friends. They're very good producers. And I heard the, the one track and said, like, wow, this is a cool track. And I said, this is our track. And Radu was planning to release it. But in the end, he decided not to release it. And at one point, one click, one second. And I said, like, why don't we create our own label and release it? You know, like, why, why do we have to wait for somebody to release this music? Let's do it together. So I started the propaganda and I started to release the music from friends who are absolutely unknown. But I believe that their music is worth the attention. And still I'm doing that way. I think that my role is just to give a stage, an opportunity, a channel to talented people who have ideas or have an, or feeling the groove, making a good quality production to release it. And I use, again, all of my instruments to push it, to promote it, because it's worth your attention. I'm not offering you a bullshit. I'm really taking care of what I'm releasing. And Scary Beautiful was a beautiful project because I opened the doors to so many producers. And now I see some of them who I was the first one to release. They're growing, they're releasing in the different labels, uh, amazing labels, amazing production. They improve themselves. And I feel like it's my mission, you know, it's a mission. It's a mission to be this connection between producer and his music and the people who can hear it and listen and dance to it. And uh, also to kind of the quality, the culture, ideas and everything. Uh, it's just like that. Yeah, I'm just, it's my mission to give an opportunities. I was having this conversation with a friend of mine recently who just gave birth to her first child and works in the scene. And we were kind of talking about how difficult things really are, um, particularly for touring acts. Um, and you are a parent. Your, your child is the teenager now, I believe. Yeah, she's 15. Wow. Thinking back and reflecting on that, and particularly as you were kind of building your profile, what are some of the, I don't know, the measures or the, kinds of empathy or the additional things that would have been helpful for you at that moment being a single parent but also trying to balance that with the reality of being a touring artist two things that i have learned is first of all is always choose yourself you don't need to sacrifice yourself for the children this is the wrong way second instrument and the lesson is that you must be good in time management and in management in general you can always find a solution. Even if you're away from the child, you can always find the way how to help him, how to manage things and stuff. And this is easy, you know, like I just accepted, like I need to take care of myself. If I sacrifice my career and my desires and my mission and nature of being, I was born to be like that, I will be unhappy. And if I'm unhappy, my child is also unhappy. It's uh, all the circle of guiltiness, you know, toxic uh, feelings. Yeah, it's not healthy at all. So first of all, choose yourself, your priorities, and then find a way how to manage your child. And then as soon as you find the way to manage your child, then everything is set. Yes, your child is missing you. But in the same time, I also found a, a very good uh, point in that, that you see your child less, but when you meet, you have a better quality time together shorter but better quality rather than just staying with this child every day from the morning to the evening it's just different functions 
And you can find a nanny who will take care of him from the morning to the evening. But when you meet each other, you have a couple of hours of very good quality time. Like you playing, you talking, you watching something, you doing something with your hands. And he is or she is excited to see you again. You know, he is waiting for you. And he is, you know, it's it's a precious time together. And it just makes the relationship different. From time to time, I speak to Oliana asking, like, are you happy? What do you think about me? What uh, would you say that you will, like, I'm not good in, you know, like I could uh, improve myself as a mother or what are you missing and stuff like that. It's a very normal, common talk in the kitchen uh, after the dinner. We're just, you know, sitting, talking easily because we have, have a very good connection. I'm pretty much progressive mother. We can talk about anything, drugs, sex, rock and roll, whatever it is. Uh, I'm very open-minded and I never lie to my child is also very important. So it's like, it's also about the communication that you build with your child. And if you win the trust of the child, you can use it as an instrument to build a stronger connection. And then it's just, uh, imagine that you are a mother of for yourself. Like, how would you imagine your mother to yourself every time try to put yourself on a place of a child analyzing what you're saying to to your child what what he's thinking about you and what about what you're saying like it's all about mm, uh, um empathy i think mm-hmm. as as uh, a lot mm-hmm. and time management and priorities and choosing yourself as you said first of all yeah is uliana at all interested in djing or electronic music does she come to see you play i used to take her quite a lot with me to the parties when she was a child because sometimes I was in Miami and I couldn't leave her at the hotel, so I would take her to the Tain Time Festival. She was super bored. She's still, she doesn't like, she, she, she's not having fun. She's just scrolling her phone and waiting while, when I'm finished. Electronic uh, music, uh, yeah, she likes it. It's weird that her father is a drum and bass DJ. I am a techno DJ. She would prefer, I think, drum and bass more now because of the age. But I believe in, uh, with time she will be interested more and more. And now she... I, I had to buy a new studio in Amsterdam and she said like, maybe you should uh, teach me how to mix actually. I was like, yeah, well, let's start from the educational part and from the, you know, learning like where you're going to get the music that you want to mix. I'm not going to teach you on the pop music. No, you need to <laughs> mix a good quality music. Come to me with your selection and then we talk and then I show you how to mix it. <laughs> so, you know, this kind of education as well. Uh, yes, she's interested, but I think she's just 15, you know, it takes time sometimes. I was there at the clubs already when I was 13. She's 15 now. Maybe she will arrive there when she will be 20. But I'm very excited about the moment when we're going to party together. <laughs> or go back to back, maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, actually, we were joking. I said, like, Uliana, imagine the hype around the back to back of me with you <laughs> playing. <laughs> that would be, that would be uh, something interesting, yes. That sounds very cute. Bringing us back to one of the earlier questions of now, you, you're kind of isolating yourself, you said, kind of going a little bit more internal. What is one thought or one idea about yourself or something that you'd want to clarify, one thought that you'd like to leave people with before you kind of retreat into this isolation? No, I think I'm at the moment when I'm learning how to actually be only myself. That's why I blog these channels of the extra information about other people, you know, like I'm, I'm learning only what I want to learn and I don't let other information to reach my mind. This isolation will help me to 
reconnect with myself and understand myself better, who I am, what are my abilities, what do I want, where I want to go, how to get there, you know, this strategy. Because I'm not going to lose anything not being in the social media, especially having a manager, you know, like social media is living its life by itself. But I found it very um, helpful in the way that in this moment of my life, it's essential. This is relation just to kind of as I'm reborning in a new form. And this form will be so much better than any of them before, you know, and uh, I wish to the people to kind of be more curious about themselves, giving them themselves a chance to find this sense and uh, connection of who you are and don't let anybody influence your your way and change it or take you away from your road. Yeah, psychology helps a lot in this way. I think if everybody will go to visit psychotherapists, <laughs> then our world will be better. <laughs> so this is my wish. So the final note is everyone go to therapy. Uh, first of all, yeah, it will be nice. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start from there. <laughs> Let's start from there and then we move forward in uh, kind of uh, finding out who we are, actually. Thank you, Nastia. Thank this you. Thank really you so nice much. It was a nice Thank conversation. You. Thanks for listening to this RA Exchange with Nastia. My appreciation goes out to Christine Kaker for moderating this conversation, to Laurent, Juliette, and the team at Nuit Sonore for organizing this interview, and to Guy Clark for his assistance with editing. The track playing in the outro of this episode is Lee Holman's Limb of the Star from Nastia's label, Necto Records. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe to the RA Exchange and listen to our full archive of conversations on ra.co or on SoundCloud at ra-exchange. If you have ideas for guests you'd like to hear on the podcast or stories you'd like to share, please send us an email at exchange at ra.co. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, take care. <laughs>